So, John, what is the worst swear word you know? Oh, God, that's a leading question. You look really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's not the worst, but I'll tell you my favourite swear word that I know. Okay, favourite? Okay, it's a Swedish word, Uh and it's a pisanisa, and it means piss face. That is... (laughs) Oh, I'm using that. Yeah. Nobody will know what it means. Exactly, You pisanisa, you piss face. (laughs) See, it's hurtful, isn't it? It gives you right to the guts. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry and joining me as always is John. Hello. One day I'm going to get bored of saying the same intro every episode. <laughs> We're on 31 now and it's not boring yet, but... I never get tired of hearing it. <laughs> oh. So it was my choice this week, wasn't it? It was, and what a choice you made. Dom Hemingway. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming you'd not seen this before. I had never heard of this film before. Okay, now I've seen this film twice. First time I watched it... Uh, I forget who recommended it. I think my mum got it out of the library and I watched it with my parents. <laughs> oh my God. I think that it might have been mum's choice. Your mum recommended this film and then you sat and watched this film with your mother. Yes. <laughs> now, I forgot a lot of it. I only remembered all the fun bits. And so obviously I watched it again for this podcast and uh, I watched it with my sister. <laughs> this one was a real family tie for you then. Um, my sister, Emily, who has... Uh, got a degree in gender studies. Oh, I bet she loved it. I so want to know what Emily thought of this. <laughs> now, I had no memory of that first scene. <laughs> oh, what were your thoughts on that first scene? Oh, I could do a whole podcast on that first scene. Oh, my God. It went on for so long. <laughs> so awkward. And yet not long enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any film that opens with Jude Law screaming about his cock while getting a blowjob from a man in prison. It's definitely worth a watch, regardless of what happens after that. Right? Yes, I agree. That scene really set the tone. Is my cock exquisite? Because oh, I think it's fucking exquisite. I think it's a fucking work of art. Like a Renoir. Or a Picasso. The painting of my cock should hang at the Louvre. They should study my cock in art classes. Spend whole courses studying the splendid contours of its exquisiteness, don't you think? They should also study my cock in science class because it defies nature. My cock is hard. It's metal, it's steel, it's titanium, it does not break, it does not weaken. My cock can stand all day like a good soldier trying to impress his superiors. If my cock could win a medal, it would. If they could name a school after it, it should. If it could save small Somali children from starving, it would and shouldn't it will have a Nobel fucking Peace Prize for it. The first such prize ever given to a cock. God, my Nobel Prize winning cocks like a cheetah. All sleek and dangerous and deadly sonnets should be written about how dangerous my cheetah cock is. Poems, plays, wars should be won over it. 
kingdom's fallen because of it. My cock is lightning, it is fire, it is a volcano brewing with the sacred semen of lava, oh, oh, sugar and spice and all things. Nice. Sorry for the lack of warning, dearie. Well, what do you think of Fudor's acting in this? He really was at 11. Mm-hmm. Like, there were times when it reminded me of like a Nicolas Cage performance. It was that <laughs> level of, you know, yeah, yeah. really playing to the back of the theatre. Yes. But no, actually, on reflection, I thought he did give a very good performance. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the script wasn't at the level that he was performing at. Oh, really, I thought the scripting was great in this. I thought there were times when it was kind of not as clever as it thought it was. Mm-hmm. Some of the dialogue really bugged me. Because a lot of the dialogue kind of almost sounded like some kind of strange memory game. Like, you know, you play that game where you I went shopping and I bought an apple. I went shopping, I bought an apple and a, and a banana. I went shopping. You know that game? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that. There were a lot of scenes where characters would repeat what the previous character said constantly and just mm-hmm. build on it. So it'd be like, put down the pudding. I don't want to put down the pudding. I'm eating the pudding. Put down the pudding. I've got news for you. I don't care about your news because I'm eating the pudding that I'm eating. It was like, there was a lot of that. It was, it, and it was obviously you're, you're a style, right, yeah. but it, it, it kind of drove me nuts a little bit because it wasn't, it felt like it was thought it was cleverer than it was. Mm-hmm. I'm eating my pudding. I couldn't give a toss about your pudding. Put your fork down, get over here. I'll put my fork down when I'm ready to put my fork down. I'll finish my pudding when I'm ready to finish my pudding. You want to disrespect me? Disrespect me. But then I won't be able to tell you what I know. And I know you'd like to know what I know. What would I like to know? Wouldn't you like to know? I would like to know. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Tell me. Fork. Fuck. How would you sum up the plot of this film? Okay, okay, so... Dom Hemingway gets released from prison. He was put in prison for something, some kind of gang activity, which he took the brunt for and didn't snitch on anybody, with essentially the assumption that he's going to get paid off for not snitching. Okay. So, after fixing up some loose ends with his wife's new husband... (laughs) <laughs> That's a very his, polite way of... His late wife's new husband. Yeah. It's a very polite way of saying beating the shit out of him. <laughs> uh, so after doing that, he heads down to France to go and collect this money. Due to an accident, that money gets stolen from him. He can't get it back. Then he goes back to London and another adventure ensues. Yeah. Completely unrelated. Well, that's what I mean. It, this film felt kind of almost like a collection of somewhat random scenes. Yeah. It was like Don Hemingway scenes from a life. You know? Really was, yeah. Yeah. It kind of almost felt like a play to me, because mm-hmm. it had yeah, the because it had those title cards throughout with names like a man with no options, someone has all the options in the world. And that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I think because Jude Law's performance was so loud as well, it felt like he was giving a theatre performance. Like mm-hmm. I said, he was really playing to the back of the room. Mm-hmm. I just struggled to kind of get a handle on what the plot was, and, and also who, who were we supposed to root for? Were we supposed to root for him? Yeah, we definitely are. Did you was, root for him? Yes, but at the same time, I accepted that he's an awful person. Okay. The same as how you, you root for the main characters of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. So for you, it went to that point where he was so repugnant that it became funny. Mm. Yeah. As good as Jude Law was, mm. I thought this film might have been better, or I think I would have had more sympathy for him, had he been played by someone older. Okay. Maybe someone like Ray Winston. Mm. Like someone who's like 50s, 60s, kind of that age. Mm-hmm. Who really is at that point where they're looking at their life and they've it's all behind them and they're into the autumn years and they really are like a dinosaur because there really was a sense that he was like a dinosaur. He'd been in prison for 12 years. He didn't understand the modern world. Mm-hmm. But he's only like, I think Jude Law was probably like 40 when he did this. Maybe, yeah. 
not he wasn't that old. There was still plenty of time to turn it around because mm-hmm. I did feel like it was going for kind of a King Lear thing, like this guy mm-hmm. who's you know all powerful and he but he's his own worst enemy mm-hmm. and he just brings himself down because he, he he has this inner saboteur that he he always leans into his worst qualities and his worst mm-hmm. impulses to be violent and to be aggressive and to chase money and material possessions and yeah. to neglect his family. But I don't know, it just it just kind of it never quite redeemed him for me. And he was never quite someone that I was rooting for a redemption because he was so unpleasant. Mm-hmm. So it made it kind of hard for me to understand what I was supposed to feel as a viewer. That was my main problem. I don't think it was poorly made or especially poorly written. Or, and it certainly wasn't poorly acted. No, I thought there was a not. lot of really good, interesting stuff in this film. But it just didn't quite come together for me. Sure. Well, it came together for me for, for different reasons, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I, I really enjoyed the way the characters played off each other. I disagree completely with your comments on the scripting. I felt that made it quite fun, and I thought the the comedy in it was was great. What was the funniest scene for you? The funniest scene was definitely the car crash. The car crash, yeah. Yes, just everything about that car crash. It suddenly goes into slow motion. You see uh, what's his face hand just flying across the screen, yeah. <laughs> and then the way that they all react afterwards when they're all sort of picking themselves up and this guy's just got like a bumper sticking through his stomach yeah and he doesn't realize and yeah i thought that was all quite funny but again it kind of there were no other scenes that that almost went to this kind of fantasy element you Mm -hmm. know the way it was shot it was very fantastic with the flying through the air Mm -hmm. and even the way that the french guy has the as you see has the metal thing through his stomach and he's walking around it as you say it's, it's so ridiculous and yeah, there are scenes like the safe scene, but that's played at a very like intense level. Mm. But it's not outside the realms of reality. So again, it just felt like that scene was so out of step with the rest of the film. That I, I agree, it was funny. I, I enjoyed it to a degree. But then it was again, it was all about the tonal shift. It goes from being quite funny, and then he there's, where he's reviving the melody, the girl, mm. and then it suddenly becomes very intense. It just this film really was a little bit emotionally schizophrenic for me it was really like up and down yeah in yeah a way that i couldn't quite get a handle on so. yeah well i would highly recommend everybody to watch this film if you haven't already because whether you like it or you don't it's a really it's a it's a fun film to watch and have an opinion on mm-hmm. I, I agree i would really recommend this film for, for a really interesting jude law performance mm-hmm. something you don't see him do very often yeah and just as as a really we watch so many films that are so run of the mill. Mm-hmm. This film, even though I don't think it achieves everything it sets out to do, and I don't think it 100% works, it's really doing something quite unique and quite interesting. And mm-hmm. for that, I would definitely recommend it because it is, yeah. even if it's a slightly failed experiment, it's a really interesting experiment. So, now for everybody watching it, we have some drinking games prepared. We do, yes. This is our new section that we're trying to trial. So, okay, do you want to start? Yeah, Watch. so initially, somebody's got to say it. Drink every time he swears. Oh God! You'd, you'd go blind. <laughs> you'd be blind. Te- you'd be blind by the end of the cock speech if that was the case. Like, drink responsibly, people. Like, sure, sure. Okay. Uh, similarly, uh, one, my first one was take a shot every time he says his full name. Uh, oh, good one, <laughs> good one. Yeah. Tom Hemingway. I'm Tom Hemingway. I am Tom Hemingway. I am Tom Hemingway. Tom Hemingway. Dom Hemingway. Dom Hemingway. After all, Dom Hemingway. I'm Dom Hemingway. The pendulum of luck has finally swung back to Dom Hemingway. Drink every time he or somebody else mentions his cock. Yeah, he's very phallically fixated in this film. But drink twice every time somebody else mentions his cock. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. still happen a lot. I do feel like his penis much should have had a supporting like credit in this film. Mm. Much like Amelia Clark's eyebrows <laughs> in, uh, in Me Before You. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it was off screen. Like, it, it felt like a very important character in the film. Yeah. 
Okay, so my next one, not unrelated. Take a drink every time you can't follow the plot because you're too distracted by Jude Law's bulge. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that happens to me constantly because he is wearing the tightest trousers. Yes. And you must have noticed. Mm-hmm. Like, his, it was every scene, it was like, oh, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening. Oh, his penis is huge. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> Um, drink every time you think to yourself, wait a minute, didn't that guy play the Pope? Which one played the Pope? Jude oh, Law. Jude Law. Oh, he did. He did. In the young, I've not seen that show, but okay. You take a drink every time Jude Law's hairline makes you insecure about your own hairline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had that too. I love looking like, I don't look that bad, do I? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're not trying to slick it back at the same time. True. I think that was it. The hair gel really mm. brought it home. It was like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Yeah. Drink any time you think how did he do that without getting arrested? He's surely going to get arrested in a bit. Yeah, there are no... <laughs> there's there's that, not a policeman in the world in this movie, is there? It's not. never on the cards, is it, that, no. he, that he's going to get arrested? Yeah, no, exactly. The only Once he gets out of prison, the only slight hint of any kind of security detail in the entire area of London mm. is when the safe security people run in. Yeah. And then he just basically waves a hammer at them and runs away. And they're yeah. like, oh, okay, good one. Take a drink every time a scene goes on for just a little bit too long. Ooh. Did you notice this? Noticed it with the cock scene, the blowjob scene. Oh no, that could have gone twice as long. I would have been perfect with that. <laughs> but yeah, it felt like, even though it's a short movie, all the individual scenes felt like they were just 10, 15 seconds longer than they needed to be. I can kind of agree with that. Yeah. Like, for example, the scene where he beats up that poor guy at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And okay, actually, they did play his flask, but he beats him up and then there's like this, there's a long, long time when all the other characters are standing around. Like, mm-hmm. all the people who just watched him beat this guy up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, hi, doll, how's your kids? Oh, you, oh yeah, oh, how's little Dickie? Oh, he's this age now. You know, it, but it went on for ages. And then the other one I noticed even more so that wasn't even played for laughs is when they're driving in the south of France. Mm. And I was like, oh, there was just a shot of the car driving through the south of France mm-hmm. or wherever they were supposed to be in France. And... It was like, oh, they're driving. There's no dialogue. It's just a, the car on the road. It's like, oh, they're driving, they're driving. They're still driving. <laughs> oh, they're still... Is this scene ever going to transition? Like, it really went on, it <laughs> went on for a solid 25 seconds of just driving. I was like, oh, did they need to like make up the 90 minute minimum before they could be packaged? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So it just felt like individual scenes just ran a little longer than they needed to. Mm, Editing would have been this film's friend. Yeah. Okay. Your turn? <laughs> uh, I'm done. Okay, I have more. I would be dead by now. Oh, yeah. We'd both be in a coma. But, uh, yeah. Take a drink every time Dom massively overreacts to a situation. Mm, yeah, solid, solid. Constant, constant, yeah. He was always so angry. Yes, but I feel like he was he was like a dog who's very angry, but then you just need to give him a bit of talking to, and then he'll just he'll, he'll be quiet and apologise. That's a really good analogy. Yeah. That's true. He, he was like a dog. He really was. Yeah. Oh, that's changed the whole film for me now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that makes total sense. He's a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's a good one. Take a drink every time the movie makes you reflexively wipe your own mouth. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? I think so. I think that's one for you to drink and not for me. What do you mean? What do you mean? I mean... Oh, no, I don't mean that. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, <silly. laughs> it's interesting that your mind went straight there. <laughs> I think that's my little dossier. Uh, no, what I mean is there's so much spitting in this film. Yes, there is. It really reminded me of... That episode of Friends where Joey is acting with Gary Oldman, who plays the actor who's oh, yeah. constantly spitting in his face. Mm-hmm. Like, there was constantly, like, he's just foaming at the mouth throat. And again, this, mm-hmm. he's a rabid dog. I get it. I mm-hmm. guess now. Mm-hmm. This explains everything. But yeah, it, it starts to become really comical, but also quite disgusting because it was just constant spittle just yes, flying out of his mouth. Yeah. And even when he's not talking, 
there's a scene on the train where this spit just sitting on his shirt and it was really distracting to me but I'm, I'm sure it was deliberate mm. but he'd obviously like dribbled on himself and left mm-hmm. it there and it was like this whole conversation he's having with Richard E. Grant mm-hmm. and it was like oh wipe, wipe, wipe your collar wipe mm-hmm. your collar wipe your collar yeah lots of spit in this film we already talked about this but every time the dialogue turns into a weird memory game yeah I'm just stating what I'm stating stop stating what you're stating I'm not going to stop stating it I'll state what I want to state in whatever state I want to. State it again, I'll knock your teeth out. Knock my teeth out. I'll cut your ear off. Cut my ear off, I'll carve your eye out with my big toe. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. And every time a woman is basically an object in this film. Just wonder when there wasn't one. His daughter. True, true, true. She wasn't. She, she's the only woman who wasn't depicted horribly in this film. Yeah. I mean, I'm, last week you said you wanted to watch this film primarily because you wanted us to watch an Amelia Clark film. Yeah. You must have been very disappointed. I wanted, I wanted to give her another chance. Didn't yeah. work out. No. <laughs> she wasn't bad in it. No, but she's just... I feel she's like... She's just fine. Well, she's just... She's a bit boring. I feel like Amelia Clark filmed her scenes for this film on a Tuesday. <laughs> like, she was in this film for a tight three minutes. Mm. Like, she's not in it much at all. No, not at all. But yeah, she, she's fine. She's, you know, she if, with the role she gets, she's perfect like me. She is dressed as Paloma Faith. <laughs> she, she looks exactly like Paloma Faith. Yeah. I guess she's the closest thing to a female, a sympathetic female character. She mm-hmm. plays his daughter. And yeah, she's fine. She's fine. Yeah, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll find a, a good film with her in at some point. Where the search continues, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's going to be in the new Han Solo film, isn't she? That's not necessarily going to be a good film or a good role. No, but she's going to be in it. I'm just saying. That's mm-hmm. something we'll both watch. So Yeah, true. Who's your favourite character in this movie? Uh, Don Hemingway. Don Hemingway. No, Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant, okay. He was good, but he did kind of disappear. He did kind of disappear, and I always wondered, why are you friends with this guy? Yeah, I put that down too. What what, what do you get out of this friendship? Yeah, I really wanted an... He shouts at you sometimes, doesn't Mm apologise. Like, nobody wants you here, nobody ever wants you here, and then doesn't apologise. And his mission is to get loads of money and make up with his family what's yours yeah I wonder that what's he getting out of this you're not getting any money you seem to be fine with your family what's, what, what's your little mission does he have a family he was, I think he lived with his mum or something did he oh that doesn't paint a very pretty picture to be fair he's no like not 50, great he's like 15 of his a day yeah I know what you mean it felt I like mean, I'm assuming that because his apartment looked like an old, an old lady lived there strongly oh okay I didn't pick up on that but fine um, he did feel a bit like a like a smithers almost yeah like, there was a lot of things where Dom would do something and you'd, it would just it was like his, his little cheerleader it was like it cuts him he'd be like go Dom mm. or, or he'd do this really over the top laugh at something Dom said mm-hmm. or did yeah yeah I really wanted an origin story mm-hmm. about why those two were friends because mm-hmm. it did feel like a very uneven friendship is that what you've done no ah Sorry. You always, you always do this. You always say, I really wanted, to, to, really wanted to see this story, and then you don't do it. It's because I can't it's opportunity. It. I can't with it in the moment, that's why. It's, mm. I don't think these things are... Yeah, I know what you mean. It does feel like a very uneven friendship, because he like doesn't even notice that he's lost his hand for like three days. Yeah. Which is a great joke. Actually, that was one of my favourite jokes, when he thought that was like a fashion thing. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted... Which surely brings you on to your next point. The fashion. The fashion. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, Jude Law's suits were amazing. Well, Jude Law's suits were because he was a man out of time. Yeah. Which is understandable, because he's been in prison for... An unknown, unknown amount of time. Yeah. What's Richard E. Grant's excuse? <laughs> <laughs> Richard E. Grant- because I was looking, trying to work out what sort of time period this was supposed to be. All the cars look like present day cars. Mm. So I'm assuming it was in present day 2013 or whenever this film was released. I wondered that too, because yeah, the, the scenery, the general mil- milieu seemed like it was you know, 2013, which mm. is when the film was shot. 
And yet Richard E. Grant was dressed for like early seventies at best. He looked like the reanimated corpse of John Travolta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was just great. I enjoyed every minute. Of, oh, it was of, great fun. Yeah. Of all the costumes, apart from the drool, drool suit. Yeah. The what? Um, the the drool suit. What's the drool suit? Where he's dribbled on himself. Oh right, yeah, sure. But then also right. the prost- the prostitutes in the pub. They looked like they were straight out of the eighties. They did. Yeah. Yeah. They had like the blown maybe, out hair. Maybe, maybe maybe that was deliberate. Maybe that was requested by the guy. Oh, he wanted prostitutes that looked like the time period it was mm. when he went to prison. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Fair. Interesting request. But okay. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the final scene of the movie? Remind me. It's when he steals the ring. Steals the ring. Yeah. It was weird. You... I found it so unpleasant and weird. And again, it, this is an example of a tonal shift because. The film does broadly follow this slightly strange uh, narrative of him coming out of prison and then getting into these misadventures. But then it kind of feels like before that scene, it kind of ends on this slightly optimistic note where he Mm. reconnects with the daughter. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, he's going to turn a corner. And then the next scene, he spots Paulina, the Romanian Mm -hmm. lady who stole his money. And he goes in. And I I know she's not a a sympathetic character. She did steal all his money. Mm. But he goes into this cafe and he's just makes these most these grotesque threats to her. Mm-hmm. Like, I found it really hard to sit through, actually. It was just so deeply unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And again, this is I was like, are we supposed to be rooting for this? And then it felt like it ended on this, oh, and what a guy, you know. It almost <laughs> felt like a, no, no one quite like Quagmire. I guess what it was trying to say was that a leopard won't change his spots. Mm-hmm. Like, he makes some effort to change his behaviour, but then he eventually falls back into old habits. But it, mm-hmm. it felt like it didn't... The tone was weird, because it felt like we were supposed to be happy about that rather than, like... If it ended on this really dark note where he almost glimpses another life, you know, the, the road not taken, where he does get up in the morning and take his grandson to school and he does mm-hmm. rebuild his relationship with his daughter and he turns things around for himself. Mm-hmm. But then he actually, he just can't resist and he chases the money and he ends up going back into the dark place. Mm. But it didn't feel like it did that. It felt like it just was, he wanted to have his cake and eat it and, it, and the film wanted us to, want him to have his cake and eat it, mm. where he gets the hope of his daughter and then he makes these awful threats to this woman and steals the ring, and then it ends in this kind of up, upbeat kind of, oh, that's Don, mm-hmm. that's Don, what a character. Yeah. That scene I found tough. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and I'm sounding quite po-faced about it. And Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the nicest end, no. certainly. And it, it just, again, it was just, it was just a bit weird for me. Yeah. Carolina. Hello, darling. Fancy seeing you here in London. Why didn't you call me? We could have gone out for a drink. Had a tone deaf sing along to some old records. Carolina, who is this? I don't know who this man is. Ah, oh. <laughs> I'll tell you who I am. I'm the fucker who'll tear your nose off with my teeth. I'm the fucker who will gut you with a dull cheese knife and sing Gilbert and Sullivan while I do it. I'm the fucker who'll dump your dead body in a freezing cold lake and watch you sink to the bottom like so much shit. I am that fucker. That's a fucker who I am. And if you say one word, when I remove my hand, I'll do all that to you right now. You say one word and you'll be as useless as a dried up fetid condom after bad sex. Do I make myself clear? Do my words translate to you? If you understand my words nod. That's good. Okay, shall we go to some sequels? Well, for the oh, alternative of, readings. Let's get yeah, to some alternative readings. That. Okay. Um, what have you got? Yes, yeah, so I've got uh, Jude Law is trying to be nice, but at the same time, he's being mind controlled by Tom Hardy. This feels more like a sequel pitch. 
True. Sure, it's not my sequel pitch, but... Oh, so do you mean Dom Hart... Tom Dom, Dom Hardy? Is that the title? Dom Hardy? <laughs> so do you mean Tom Hardy in Inception? Just Tom Hardy in general. I think that he's... He, he's very good at playing these sort of rough kind of characters. I think that he Oh, can... I see. Okay. Mm. If there's one big surprise for this in this film for me, it was that Danny Dyer was not in it. <laughs> this felt like such a Danny Dyer performance. Mm. I mean, it was better for having Jude Law, because Jude Law is ten times the actor Danny Dyer is. Mm-hmm. But it really reminded me of those films... Like, when Danny Dyer first became famous in films like... The Football Factory, I think it was. Mm. He made a lot of like straight-to-DVD East End Gangland movies for a while. Mm-hmm. And this felt kind of like one of those. Mm. But except with somehow it ended up with an Oscar nominee in the yeah. role. And all for the better. Mm-hmm. Felt, I was really surprised that there was no, no role for Danny Dyer in this. It was such a him kind of film. Yeah. Uh, okay, have you got any more? Uh, yeah, uh, so Don Hemingway. The story about how nobody likes Don because he's a massive dickhead. Yeah, <laughs> it's fair, yeah. It's except fair. Richard E. Grant does like him somehow, for some reason. Yeah, what... <laughs> Anyway. No, I'm not ruining it. I'm just saying. Like. Yeah. I've got one more. Okay. Dom Hemingway. I haven't done anything to deserve all these bad things. Except everything. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay. My first one is Toxic Masculinity, the movie. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. yeah. The second is Absolutely Fabulous, but with men. <laughs> sure. Yeah. They, did, they, did they not feel like Patsy and Adina? Yeah. It was they did. A, a, Richard E. Grant was totally doing a Joanna Lumley thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Richard E. Grant is the male Joanna Lumley. Or yeah. maybe Joanna Lumley's the female Richard E. Grant. Yeah, one, one or the other. Yeah, I feel like they both play the same character a lot. Yeah. The hard-drinking, posh, you know, rich kind yeah. of. Yeah. Fabulous. Well, sharply dressed. Mm-hmm. How have they never done a film together? That'd be a good one. I imagine if them was like a power couple. Mm. I'd, I would love that. Like, with Nail meets Patsy. Like. Yes, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the third one was EastEnders After Midnight Edition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they used to do this. I don't, I don't think they do it anymore. They used to do so, with soap operas like EastEnders and Coronation Street and Brookside. Mm. They would have the regular like show at eight pm, which you know was obviously there's no swearing and there's mm-hmm. no, no no nudity. And they would do like after midnight or straight to DVD like eighteen rated versions that where suddenly the characters are all saying fuck every other word and being super, super violent and sexy all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was like an experiment that didn't really work, but I could see this film be, being kind of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well very good. Great. So my turn first this week. Your first, yes. Okay, so I've done a sequel this week, a direct sequel, and it's called Dom Hemingway 2, The Wizard of Walthamstow. The Wizard of... Walthamstow. Okay. It's a borough in London. Sure. Purely chosen for its alliterative qualities. I, don't, I have no <laughs> idea if this film was set in Walthamstow, it probably wasn't, but yeah. Westminster? Was it set in Westminster? No, I'm saying that's another one beginning with W. I think Walthamstow is a bit more like street, though, like street level. Ah, sure. Well, when I say Westminster, I think of like the government and, gen, you know, gentrification. Yeah, sure. Walthamstow yeah. feels more like... I don't know if it is, but it feels more like East End. Cool, go for it. Okay, cool. So this sequel is based on a an observation I had during this film, which you might need to just go with me on this, because I'm not sure if you'll have seen this. I don't, I don't know if anyone will have seen this but me. But towards the end of this film, I started thinking to myself, this film isn't a million miles away from The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. yeah. Can you see it? Can I you can see that. It had that quality, especially what really brought it home for me was uh, Kerry Condon, who played Melody, mm. who was doing some weird Glinda the Good Witch shit with her performance. Like, yeah, she was. She was doing some very odd, like, had, the way she was acting. Again, it was very theatrical. It was very, like, kind of like, up here. Mm-hmm. And, God, yeah, we didn't talk about her character, but, my God, that was a glass-half-full lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this guy is horrible to her. 
he's like nice tits he's like oh the most charming man I've ever met then then he like causes a horrible accident that almost kills her and then revives her and she's like you saved my life not mm-hmm. you've nearly killed me you mm-hmm. arsehole and if you looked at the IMDB but she's credited in the movie as Melody the Lucky Penny so she's literally like a good luck charm in the movie right. which I was quite interesting mm-hmm. Dom Hemingway I was so worried about you but you're okay no I'm not I'm not doing very well actually you said I'd have good luck I've had nothing but shitty luck. So sorry to hear that, Dom. If I hadn't stopped and helped you, I'd have had time to save my money from being stolen. But you saved my life. You stopped to save my life. I know. You did the right thing. Not everyone would, but you did. I told you the good luck would come when you really need it. Well, I really need it. Then it will be. But yeah, so she really made me think of Glinda the Good Witch from Wizard of Oz. Also the Nicolas Cage comparison. Mm. Because Jude Law reminded me of Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage, you might remember, we watched a film together about a year ago called Wild at Heart, which is a Nicolas Cage movie which is based heavily on The Wizard of Oz. It's like a road mm. movie. So him and Laura Dern from Jurassic Park. Uh, was uh, Wim Dafoe in it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yep. It really made me think of that as well. It's kind of hyper-violent version of Wizard of Oz. Sure. Yeah. So basically that inspired this. So anyway, we begin immediately after the events of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dom is walking through London with the ring he's just stolen from Paulina, mm. which we can safely assume he's going to pawn. Yeah. So he swag- as he's swaggering across another busy road, which you notice he did a lot. Yes. He did a lot of walking into oncoming traffic, just blithely. Mm. So he does that. He blithely walks into the moment into like a dual carriageway. And except this time he gets hit by a speeding car that kind of sends him flying into the pavement. Mm. Probably a similar shot to the first film where the road accident happens, where you see this really weird CGI flight. Mm-hmm. And he lands, smacks his head, blacks out straight away. Mm-hmm. He wakes up sometime later, he comes to, to find that everything's kind of the familiar but also different. Like, I don't know, maybe the colours are a bit off mm-hmm. and nobody's around and he's completely alone, it seems. Still on the road or? He's on the pavement. There's no cars on the road, there's no people around. Mm-hmm. He's completely alone. It's, it's dark, it's night, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So he, wake, he comes to, stands up and he notices that the ring is gone. Mm-hmm. And he immediately starts desperately searching himself and mm-hmm. he can't find the ring it's not nowhere to be seen mm-hmm. nowhere to be found so obviously he takes this with the you know the calmness and the good grace that you'd expect so by which I mean he starts swearing and screaming and punching things and mm-hmm. just having a massive hysterical tantrum mm-hmm. and as he's doing this uh, suddenly the sky kind of lights up and Melody descends from above mm-hmm. bathed in light and she's, with it, she's got her tits out because it's this kind of film I mm-hmm. guess but she's also wearing a beautiful kind of flowy pink dress. Yeah. And she, 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 she kind of descends down and lands. And she says, uh, I need to get my melody voice. This is going to be tricky. <clears throat> Take heart, Dom Hemingway. What you've lost will be returned to you. But first, you must visit the wonderful Wizard of Walthamstow. And he's like, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah nice. Well, it's about to get a lot worse. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck are you talking about, you silly American cunt? That was a terrible Cockney accent. <laughs> the weird I can't do Cockney. Um, mm. The wizard of Walthamstow is the most powerful wizard in all of the land. Only he can tell you where your lost ring is. Where do I find this cunt, then? Simply follow the gentrified road. <laughs> Great. And so she points down a long road packed with artisanal coffee shops and cereal cafes. Mm-hmm. You're saying all this. All I'm thinking is, oh, God, I've got to do an accent as well. Oh, <laughs> no. I'm so excited. <laughs> so Dom hijacks a car 
he probably stops to get a blowjob from a passing munchkin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he sets off on his journey. Mm-hmm. So he's speeding down the gentrified road at like 80 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he stops when he spots a familiar disheveled man rooting through some bins. Mm-hmm. So he pulls over. And he's like, Dickie, what the fuck are you doing, you can't? <laughs> this Cockney accent is nailed on, isn't it? That was pretty good that mm-hmm. time. <laughs> so I've put myself so many voices to do this. <laughs> I lost my hand again, Dom. In the confusion last night, I lost it and I can't find it anywhere. I need my hand, Dom. I need my hand. How's that as a witchy dig around? No, not the best, no. Well, Scripting, perfect. Yeah. Listen up, Dickie. I'm off to take out some Dumbledore cunt who knows where my diamond is. Maybe he can tell you where your hands disappeared to and all. So Dickie jumps in the car and they uh, speed on. Mm-hmm. So obviously Dickie is the scarecrow. Mm-hmm. He's, he's lost his hand rather than his... Okay. What did, what did the scarecrow need? A brain? If I only had a brain? Needed a yeah. brain, yeah. So if I only had a left hand, I guess, yeah. Mm. So that they continue speeding down, and after a while, the cafes and the coffee shops give way to kind of a more residential area, mm. and they soon arrive on the grounds of this giant palatial mansion, in which there is a mass, a very loud, debauched party going on, filled with drugs and sexy girls and mm-hmm. all the things these two guys love. So obviously, they they stop off, take a little detour, and they get involved, walk into the party, and pick up a pair of girls, literally pick up a pair of girls, just swing them over their shoulders like they do in the film because <laughs> women are objects. Yes. And take them upstairs to the master bedroom mm-hmm. where they are shocked to find Mr. Fontaine, the mm. French crime boss mm. from the original film, is pinned up against the wall with the shard of metal still sticking through his stomach. Mm-hmm. So Dickie's like, fucking hell, let's get him down. So they, they drag him, they drag him down and miraculously he's still alive. Mm-hmm. And he says, thank you, Dom. French accent, my favourite accent to do. You know, I love a French accent. So, <laughs> thank you, Dom. This splinter of mine, it is very, how you say, inconvenient. Cause can I you have... do a French accent without going, how you say? No, this is this is the only way I can do it. Okay. It, it won't, the French accent is, it shall wander. I have not been able to make love to a beautiful woman since the accident, as they cannot get close enough to my majestic French wang, on account of this metal splinter in my stomach. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. So Dom obviously says to him, uh, well, we're off to see some spellcasting bastard to get my diamond ring back and give Dickie his hand back. Maybe he can get that fucking splinter out of your stomach and all. So Mr. Fontaine, i.e. the Tin Man, mm-hmm. agrees to join the adventure. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts so far? You're, you're looking at me expectantly as I'm supposed to go, oh my God! <laughs> so. You're looking like underwhelmed, pardon <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just experiencing it. I'm just... <laughs> These accents. <laughs> yes, living the accents. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, Mr. Fontaine joins the party. I mean, it's, obviously it's a little difficult to get him into the car because he's got this massive mm-hmm. metal thing hanging over him, but you mm-hmm. know, they manage. Where there's a will, there's a way. And they set on continuing down the gentrified road. Mm. So obviously they're driving down, sipping champagne, snorting coke, being very dangerous again. And suddenly a shadowy figure appears in the middle of the gentrified road, forcing them to abruptly swerve to avoid hitting it. And Dom jumps out of the car to investigate. Mm-hmm. And he sees that the figure is a large furry creature with claws and whiskers. Mm. He's like, who the fuck are you? Mm-hmm. And he goes, ooh, I am the ghost of Bernard the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Finally, that's the I, I was wondering who you're going to pick for the line. <laughs> you killed me, Dom, and I didn't deserve to die. Now I'm doomed to haunt the gentrified road for all eternity. I don't know what accent I'm doing going for here. <laughs> ghostly. Ghostly, yeah. It started off trying to be like the line from The Wizard of Oz and I realised I couldn't do that so then I went a bit generic ghosty. So, Don feels uncharacteristically guilty about the whole dead cat thing. Yeah. So he says, look, we're off to see the Wizard of Walthamstow 
And he's going to give me my diamond, he's going to give Dickie his hand back, and he's going to get the massive metal splinter out of Mr. Fontaine's stomach. So maybe he can give you back your life as well. Maybe there's a way. Mm-hmm. So Bernard the Cat, i.e. the Cowardly Lion, of course. Mm-hmm. Also John. No. <laughs> oh god, it's the Star Wars episode all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all our reactions are going to be very big from now on. Just Thank you, yeah. Make, make up for your little disappointment there. <laughs> so yeah, he, Bernard the Cat also agree, agrees to join the group. And they, really? Don't patronise me. <laughs> and eventually they make it to the Emerald Casino. Oh. Yeah. Where they meet the where the Wizard of Walthamstow is in residence. Mm-hmm. And long story short, the Wizard of Walthamstow <laughs> is Lester. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just very tempted to use that myself. <laughs> <laughs> long story short. <laughs> long story short, it's Lester. The guy who wanted to shop top and stick off. Yes. Yeah. Mostly because I'm running out of characters now. And okay. this, pre- this premise is starting to wear a little bit thin. Yeah. So uh, he's the Wizard of Walthamstow. Just go with it. Okay. And I guess he was kind of like, you know, he was the crime boss. He was mm-hmm. like the head kingpin, so you can see it. I, I would have made it his daughter. I thought of that, but then I couldn't quite make it make sense. Really? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so initially, Lester just wants to chop Dom's dick off again. Mm. Because he seems quite fixated on that. Yes. A deal's a deal. A bet's a bet. And a dick doorstop is a dick doorstop. <laughs> Lester, come on. I hate you, Dom. I always have. You killed Bernard. You can't cut off my dick because of a fucking cat. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Okay, no, I can't. You're right. But I can cut it off because you said you could open my safe in 10 minutes and you didn't. Now take off your trousers. But after the ghost of Bernard the cat intercedes on Dom's behalf, Mm. he does reluctantly agree to help them. He says, okay, I will help you all with your individual problems if you first agree to join me on a dangerous jewellery heist at the mansion of a local billionaire. Mm. So they agree. And they break into this mansion. But when they get there, they discover that it actually belongs to the boyfriend of Paulina, the Romanian girl, from the end of the film. You know, she was in the cafe with some old rich guy. Oh, yes, yes. So basically it's him. He's not him. So that means Paulina is in the mansion. Mm. So basically they they break into the mansion and she's there. Mm -hmm. So she's our Wicked Witch of the West. Okay. So she sets the guards on them and there's a big shootout. And in the confusion, Paulina escapes. Okay. Dom, Wait, sorry, in the confusion of overshooting of the shoot the, the confusion of the shootout. So the guards are shooting, they're shooting. Mm-hmm. She makes her escape. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And so Dom immediately pursues, leading to a high speed car chase, mm-hmm. and he ends up running her off the road. Mm-hmm. But he does also lose control of his own car, causing them both to crash. Mm-hmm. And once again, he blacks out. He comes to again, and he sees that Paulina is still passed out in her car giving him an opportunity to, you know, to get up and exact his revenge. Like yeah. Killer or whatever. Yeah. So he's clambering out of his car. But as he does that, Melody once again floats down from on high in her pink frilly skirt to give one of her timely moral messages. Mm. And he's like, is this what you really want, Dom? Look, it's morning and your grandson is waiting for you to pick him up from school. <laughs> I know, but killing this bitch is the only chance I've got of getting the fucking wizard to send me home. <laughs> you never needed the wizard. You could have gone home any time you chose. Well, why didn't you tell me that before, you stupid airy fairy cunt? <laughs> <laughs> because you wouldn't have believed me. This is just page for page, Wizard of Oz now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you continue to follow the path of greed and violence, you'll never escape your misery. Forget the money, let the hooker go, and come back and be with your family. So obviously Dom's very torn, mm. but eventually he does a bit of soul searching. Mm-hmm. He's like, fuck it, fine, how do I get home? It's easy. All you must do is grab your magnificent cock and say, 
I'm dumb fucking Hemingway, and there's no place like home. <laughs> so he pulls down his pants. Oh, God. Look, I can imagine. I can imagine. I don't need this. He pulls down his pants, uh, grabs hold of his massive, glistening, magnificent cock. I'm sick of my fingers in my ears. I've got earphones in my ears. It doesn't work. <laughs> Sorry, that means to trigger you. So he pulls down his pants, grabs his dick, and says, I'm dumb fucking Hemingway, and there's no place like home. Mm-hmm. I'm dumb fucking Hemingway, and there's no place like home. And slowly he comes around. He wakes up in a hospital bed, mm-hmm. with his daughter, his grandson, and Dickie by his side. And, and Evelyn, the daughter, says, Dad, are you okay? You got hit by a car crossing the road, and you've been in a coma for three days. And he's like, I was having the most bizarre dream, and you were there, and you, and you, and you. <laughs> Well, actually, none of them were there apart from Dickie. Whatever. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, it was all a dream, or was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. And he vows to give up chasing money and revenge and to live an honest life mm-hmm. for the rest of his days, which are unfortunately fairly short because uh, he drops into a heart attack three years later on account of all the cocaine. But uh, nevertheless, those three years are uh, treasured. Treasured, yeah. Oh. And that's the end of Dom Hemingway to The Wizard of Walthamstow. All right, okay. Well, there was a lot there, wasn't there? <laughs> uh, lot to unpack. Yeah, crikey. Well, no, you you, you nailed it. You, you nailed the Wizard of Oz crossover. That worked out pretty well. Okay. Um, <laughs> you, you nailed the accents. Oh, yeah. Good work on that. Your turn? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> mine is going to be a TV show. Oh, okay, cool. But it's going to be it's gonna like a, a, quite a short run, like three episodes. Oh, a miniseries. Mm, yeah. Okay. HBO? Probably BBC. BBC, okay. Mm. So much on a slightly low budget, sort of like, uh, what's it called, Spooks? Yeah. Yeah. I've never watched it, but I just imagined low budget action. Pretty much. I mean, Spooks ran for years. It wasn't three episodes, but yeah. Yeah. Spooks meets Sherlock then. Okay. So I've got a, uh, I've got, I've got a good plot, essentially, for the first episode, and then I've got a couple of concepts for episodes two and three. Okay. So it picks up not long after the end of the first film, mm-hmm. where... Uh, Dom's just trying to get by life without causing too much pain for his daughter and grandson, trying to, you know, sort of build bridges with his family again, while also keeping a bit of money, which he's got from selling that ring in a pawn shop, mm-hmm. which he's sold for half a million, maybe. I looked up how much rings are. <laughs> a ring with a diamond that big looks about half a million pounds. Yeah, that would make, well, that makes sense, because he lost three quarters of a million, right? Mm. So half a million. He probably wouldn't be completely satisfied, but he'd be, yeah. That'll do. That'll do, yeah. Yeah. Than a kick in the face. Yeah. Well, obviously, thing for him is still hard. He's got a massive temper, and he keeps running into people who hate him for things he's done in the past, mm-hmm. which is reasonable. And some of these people that he runs into, well, they keep asking for money, and like, well, you owe me this much for this thing that you did, and so he'll just pay them that money just out of his pocket because he's got cash. Mm-hmm. He's got shit tons of cash. Yeah. So much so that one day in the pub, he's talking with Richard E. Grant, with Dickie, about that he's still got so much money left, and you know, it's all stealing cash from this pawn shop and I need to just get it in a bank account at some, some point he's saying this and he's overheard by somebody okay um, this somebody is played by Eddie Marson you don't know who that is by name I do recognise it though um, he was that guy in Atomic Blonde he was the guy they were trying to keep alive he's been in loads oh of things. yeah he's been in that he's been in Sherlock Holmes films mm-hmm. he was he was in Doctor Who for a bit he was in Harry Potter he's never had a massive role in anything but just solid character actor. Yeah. He's just one of those people like, oh, it's that guy. Okay, yeah, cool. One of them. So this guy, Eddie Marsden, overhears Dom Hemingway say, t- saying in the pub that he has half a million pounds in cash that he needs to put away somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean. So you see his face light up. Yeah. Like, hmm. So 
he follows Dom home, works out where he is, and then while he thinks, well, he waits around for a bit, and when he thinks Dom is asleep, he sneaks in, starts having a look around. Well, Dom's not asleep. He's up having a wank or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so Dom catches him in the act when he's just sneaking around everywhere, trying to trying to find where this money's stored. And, well, Dom beats the absolute shit out of him. Well, he would, yeah. Yeah. And leaves him to die on the pavement outside his house. Doesn't okay. even bother to, like, hide anything or go and put him somewhere else. Just leaves him outside his own house to die on the pavement. Okay. Next morning, he has a knock on the door from somebody who claims to be from MI5. Are you Dom Hemingway? Okay, I've not prepared my Cockney accent. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking Dom Hemingway. Who the fuck are you, you fucking pig? Ooh, charming. My name is Classified. Are you the Dom fucking Hemingway who beat up this man last night? And holding up a picture of a broken face. Mm-hmm. Fucking can't you? That was me. Why? Is this, is this poor excuse for humanity? Someone important? As a matter of fact, yes, he is. He was uh, he was a Russian spy, and now he's a British prisoner, thanks to you. So where's my fucking medal, then? Sounds like I've done you a fucking favour. Where's my fucking reward? You've got a little bit of Australia, but I'm really like it. That's all, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not prepared for this in, at all. You're doing really well. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> I am your reward, Mr Hemingway. I am here to offer you a job. We need somebody who can crack a safe for us, but also someone who can fend for themselves. So let me get this fucking straight. You want me, the most fucking unstable cunt in the whole fucking world, sneak around fucking Kremlin without getting my dick cut off by Vladimir fucking Putin? Uh, yes, exactly. And what the fuck's in it for me? A clean slate? A what? I fucking am clean, mate. Uh, no, Dom, there have been claims that you beat up a mechanic who was still in a coma weeks later, you murdered several people in a car accident in France, which you fled the scene... You have robbed a safe in a club and assaulted several security guards in the process. You stole half a million pound engagement ring from a lovely young lady. And let's not forget about our friend from last night. This is all since you were released from jail. What do you think your daughter would think if I, if I took you in right now? You'd never breathe fresh air again and never see your family again. Okay, you made your fucking point. I'll do it, you cunt. This is definitely the most explicit episode of Beyond the Box, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so episode one finishes with Dom boarding a plane and flying to Russia. Oh, okay. So imagine Dom Hemingway in Russia. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> He's really blend right in. Dom <laughs> um, Hemingway as a British spy okay. in Russia. Have you got a working title for this, by the way? Comes at the end. Oh, okay, fine. So episode two would... Now, there's no more script, so okay. that's, that's what you're getting from me. Episode two would largely consist of him trying to get around Russia without causing a scene. Can you imagine how badly that goes wrong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he manages to insult the Russian president so much that he starts a war. Okay. So he's not subtle in trying to steal anything. He's the complete opposite. Don becomes a prisoner of war, which doesn't go well for the other inmates of the of these Russian jails. Mm-hmm. The British actually want him back because they're having too many threats from different gangsters who have debt, unpaid debts. <laughs> and so, well, the war builds and... Missiles get launched, thrown the world into World War Three. Mm-hmm. That's the close of episode two. God, these are jam-packed episodes. Yeah. I feel like more like these are seasons. Like season one is him being recruited, season two is him in Russia, season three is the war he starts. Like, you're underselling this. This could run and run. Okay, sure. Yeah. Three season arc. Yeah. Season three uh, will consist of a full-on war where Dom somehow manages to survive every attempt made on his life or any lives of the people around him. Mm-hmm. It builds so much that it turns into a nuclear war. Okay. Um, 
causing a, nu- a worldwide nuclear winter. <laughs> and Dom going mad when he witnesses the murder of his daughter and grandson. Um, and this, Who uh, murders them? Or do you mean that they die in the nuclear they fallout? Die, they die, yeah. Okay. He sees the slow death of them due to radiation poisoning. Oh, that's and, bleak. Yeah. He goes absolutely mad. The show finishes with Dom driving off into what can barely be called a car, just made up of diff- loads of different parts. Drives off into the desert and gets caught by scavengers looking for water, and they call him a blood bag. The title of this thing, Dom Hemingway, Fury Road. Oh, okay. I see <laughs> you held that back. Okay. This film would work as a TV show, I think. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, uh, that's the thing I thought, because this film, it felt like a, a film of two episodes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because like... the start and finish had nothing in common. Yeah. At all. Mm-hmm. So... That's why I want the TV show, and I think that maybe a little more development that could uh, yeah. that could be something. No, I can totally see it. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that the whole Russian thing made me think that there was a time. It's the time has now passed, but there was a time when Jude Law was like being touted as a potential James Bond. Oh, uh, really? And I was like, imagine imagine Jude Law as James Bond, but playing this character. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's why people want Tom Hardy as James Bond. Yeah, that's, that's like a more like rough and ready. Mm, yeah. No, I think that'd be really good. Mm. I can totally see that being a show. Mm-hmm. With me doing the Tom Hemingway impressions. I think you should definitely play. If Jude, <laughs> if Jude Law's unavailable, uh-huh. then I think you are clearly the next person for the role. Yeah. Well, with the success of that accent, I'm going to start building that into more of my ideas, I think. I think yeah, that, that was a really good Cockney accent. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I don't know if it was a good Cockney accent, but it was, it was good fun. It was, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. So, anything else? We'll nope. get to some listener submissions then, I guess. Oh, yeah. So, we only had two this week because um, nobody's seen this film. Uh, and mm, in fact our two listeners also have not seen this film so they based this entirely on the poster okay on the poster on the poster I, I tweeted out the poster right so blokebusters mm. of course god bless them um, <laughs> so at blokebusters their pitch again based entirely on the poster mm. is uh, Dom's long lost brother played by Lee Schreiber oh, okay do you know who he is yes okay what do you know him most from uh, I think he was in Terminator he was in he was in that Wolverine film. Yeah, he's Sabretooth in X-Men Origins. That's why I assumed you'd... Uh, yeah. Um, I know him mostly as... Zero Dark Thirty? Maybe. He's Cotton Weary in the Scream franchise, but you haven't seen those, have you? No. Okay, cool. Uh, anyway, so Dom's long-lost brother, played by Lee Schreiber, turns up, and he's a straight-laced guidance counsellor, and obviously they butt heads, mm-hmm. getting some hijinks, but they grow to grudgingly respect each other and evolve into better people until Dom dies in a car crash, um, leaving Lee Schreiber to carry on his brother's legacy... Which, of course, is an underground cockfighting league. <laughs> now, to be fair... That, that's not too far off. Yeah, the fact that, considering Blokebusters had admittedly had not even seen the film, yeah. I could totally imagine Dom running a cockfighting ring. Mm, definitely, yeah. I mean, his, his, his own cock would just, you know... Mm. I think that, that would take on all comers. Yes, yeah, clearly. Definitely. <laughs> uh, we also had one from We Watch Anything, uh-huh. at We Watch Anything. Again, based on the poster. Wait a minute. We Watch Anything have not watched this. I know. Well, in, immediate fail, guys. How yeah. dare you? Mm. I'm going to sue them under the Trade Descriptions Act. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you don't watch this by our ne- by our episode next week, yeah, then so, we're not going to do anything. We watch anything at we watch anything, but Dom Hemingway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> after the events of the first movie, Dom returns home and goes to bed. End of film. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> In the corner of the bedroom, a portal to another dimension opens. Oh, yeah. Uh, he travels through the portal and finds himself on a Martian space station. Huh where he has a pistol and limited ammo. Suddenly he's attacked, so he grabs the pistol and fends off the demonic beast. What? Okay, so he grabs the pistol and he fends off a, a, a demonic beast mm-hmm. until the rock arrives oh. with a platoon of space marines uh-huh. who take him under their wing and teach him military discipline and he mm-hmm. teaches them how to be like cockney geezers. Mm-hmm. 
And together they have to fight off demonic hordes with a mix of ultraviolence and cheeky cockney charm. And it's a video game tie-in called Dom Hemingway 2, Doom Hemingway. Oh, nice. Good one. So they were only... I love a title pun. Yeah. So they were only two listener submissions. But on the other hand, the director of the film did get in touch with us. No way. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Writer-director Richard Uh Shepard at Salty Shep. Yeah. Revealed... Guess exclusively to us. I don't know. That um, so this is this is his tweet to us. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, "Jude and Richard E. Grant and myself were all ready to do Dom and Dicky do Las Vegas oh. if more than fifteen people had paid to see my movie." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so great. So that's what could have been. Oh, that's perfect. That's a great extension to the franchise. Totally, I can certainly imagine that. I think Dom will be very keen on catching the share show. Mm-hmm. He'd be very enthusiastic about that. I think to keep you off a bet middleman, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Cool. So that's what might have been. Yeah. So yeah. Oh man. There we go. So well, that's, maybe uh, one day. Perhaps, yeah. You know. Maybe after this podcast, I'll be like, oh, this wait is, a minute, this is this is a good film. This is going to be the start of this film building up a proper cult following. I think yeah. it's going to build and build. It's going to be like the room. Mm. Not oh, this is bad. The room, like. bit offensive, but sure. <laughs> well, the room is hugely popular. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that we're going to light the spark, turn this film into a cult classic. I hope. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you, Richard Shepard, for mm, thank taking you very the time much. to reach out to us. And mm-hmm. we hope you enjoyed our episode because mm. we enjoyed your movie. Yeah. In parts. <laughs> <laughs> one of us enjoyed it more than the other. Yeah. So if you're one of the 15 people who paid to see Dom Hemingway then, uh, and you have a sequel idea, please let us know. Just You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, Beyond the Box Set. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, most popular podcasting platforms. If you like what we do, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps us to find new listeners. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so next week. Your choice, isn't it? It is my choice, yeah. What do you got for us? This film came up in conversation a couple of weeks ago and I was shocked to hear that you hadn't seen it. So I immediately had to push it to the front of the queue. Oh, no. Do you have any theories? Uh, no, no. I, I'm now listing the films that I've said on this podcast that I've not seen. I mean, it's running into triple figures, so... <sighs> Oh, I think I think you'll like this one. What is it? Okay, it is actually it is AI artificial intelligence. I have seen that one. You said you hadn't. No, I said I haven't seen that for a very long time. Oh, okay. Well, I want to do it anyway, so we can do AI. Oh, fine, sure, we'll do that. One. Are you happy with it? Yeah. I've got backups. You... No, it's fine. You're such a bitch this episode. Whoa, harsh. <laughs> he does one decent accent, and he's a prima donna. <laughs> <laughs> fine. So tune in next week for AI artificial intelligence. Nice. And, uh, yep. Until then. See you later. Bye.